Good morning. Welcome. We have lunch after church, after the service, um, and so everyone is welcome. So even if you did, weren't planning on it, feel free to stay. There should be plenty of food, and it's just a casual time together. So, um, let's pray a second. We'll jump into things. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you and to give you our hearts. Lord, thank you that you're our Savior, that you're our Lord, that you've forgiven us of all of our sins, that you love us, you've been raised from the dead, and we're gonna, we are going to live forever with you. Lord, in your new world, your new creation, your new heavens, your new earth. And thank you, Lord, that we will reign with you. We look forward to that day. We know, Lord, that this day, this world is, is, is broken. We have been all broken in numerous ways. You're the great healer. You're the one who restores all things. Lord, you're the one who gives us health and wholeness. We want to fix our attention on what you give us, not on what we can do, not on what we have to do, but on what you have done and live out of what you have done for us, not what we can do for you. In your name we pray, amen. So today, I have the privilege, or not so, <laughs> discussing a passage that in our world is somewhat controversial and difficult to discuss. So I am going to just do the best I can with this. And I will say this, that I think it's a topic that, as we get into it, needs further discussion down the road. And I am going to ask, uh, Dick, that, could you pull those? I'm sorry, that's just for some reason, the sun is shining for the first time in like six years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Sorry. Thank you. So as we're reading through Romans, and we're hitting now, we're going 18, chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. The first thing that's really important is to ask, what is Paul doing? What is Paul, what is his purpose in this section, and I'm going to give us two things that I think Paul's focused on here and what his purpose is. The first thing is Paul is giving us a biblical or theological description of the fall and the downward spiral of humanity. That's the first purpose. Now, in this, what we have is Really what he's doing is he is giving a, his interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11. He's going to take us back all the way, and he's going through Genesis 1, 2, 3, and he's going to move us through all of those in these, I don't know what, however many verses that is that we're looking at. So that is his first purpose. This theme is clearly laid out in Genesis 1 through 11, the downward spiral of humanity, but then the theme continues throughout the Bible. It's one of those design themes that comes up, comes up, comes up, comes, and you know what? It continues through history. It continues through history. It's in a initial series that relates to World War II. 
on television. <laughs> and boy, do you see the downward spiral. This place Germany in World War II. Downward spiral is evident. Second purpose of Paul is to address, and this is important, we talked about this last week, and correct certain mostly Jewish Christians in the church in Rome and their stereotypes and prejudices of Gentiles. He is in this passage, he is going to correct um, attitudes of superiority and exclusivity held by certain people in the church. Now the issues, the issue in Rome, in the church in Rome, that there's a group of people in the church who maintain that for a Gentile to become a Christian, a real Christian, that person needs to, he needs to follow the law, the Jewish law. He needs to be circumcised or she. They need to be circumcised. They need to follow the purity rituals. They need to follow the food laws. They need to follow the Sabbath days. And so they look at the Gentiles who become Christians and they're saying, not real Christians because they are not doing these things. Remember, Romans is written to God's beloved children, saints. It is not written to the world. We tend to think of it as being written to the world, especially these words. It's not. It's written to us, and we must view it from that understanding. Now, if we read these passages, this passage according to those two purposes I just said, I'm going to be bold to say, I believe Paul's meaning in this passage should become clear. And I believe that Christians can find agreement if they understand those two things in this passage. Now, how we use this passage in our current historical context, that is much more difficult. Understanding what Paul is saying in his context, I think isn't so hard. But how that enters into our world is a different thing. And there is much disagreement in the Christian world on this. There just is. And so, and that disagreement I think requires discussion, not a sermon. And I if and I'm gonna probably mention this, but I'll mention it now. I think it'd be good for those interested for some of us to gather and have those discussions. I don't think we can do it all in a Sunday morning or in a Sunday morning sermon. So what I'm gonna do now is give you a brain dump, sorry. But I, I just have to. There's no way around it. In order to get through this. So the first thing is I forgot something really important last week, but I have this week to remember. And so here it comes. <laughs> Starting in, Je in Romans 1, verse 18, there is this, Paul does this unique grammatical thing. Really important, like the most important thing, and I totally forgot last week. But Paul, from Romans 
118 through Romans 132 uses they language. He specifically only uses the word they and them. He, it, what we would call those people. So Paul is so, he's gonna spend all of this time saying those people. You know, those people. Those people. And, and it's critical for understanding of what he is doing. So, verse 24. I have to step back to, before I can get into verse 26. They, those people, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then in verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed. This passage is all about the exchange. And three times he will mention the word exchange. The first one here is what did they exchange? The glory of God for creatures. We ex humanity exchanged God's glory. We talked about this last week for crawling creatures. And then we talked about this last week. He exchanged the, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The, re the downward spiral of humanity began with this exchange. That started it all. The result of the exchange is very clear in verse 25. Idolatry. The worship of other things, not God. Following this, Paul, and let me say, oh, the word they and them, I forgot to say this, at least 20 times in this passage, at least 20 times. And we'll see in a little bit why it is so important to this passage. But um, what he's going to do now, he's going to list at least 20 sins that they, that those people do. So what he's saying is this, idolatry is the source of all sin. It's the first domino. When you push that domino down, if it's set up right, every other domino falls. But no domino can fall until that domino's pushed. Verse 24, we looked a little bit last week, but it's coming up again, so I'll repeat it. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. The word gave them over here, we, is, he's going to go into this and, and what that means. We looked last week at got the wrath of God and the giving over. And what it simply means is to, um, and, and he'll repeat this three times in rapid succession now. It's going to go boom, 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 boom. Gave over, gave over, gave over. And it means to remove all, what God did is he removed all constraints from humanity. Just let them have what they want. Okay, you want to go this way? This is, and he said, here's what it looks like to live a life without God. That's what you want? Okay, go ahead and do it. But it's, it's, he permitted and allowed them. He did not encourage or force them. 
He just said, okay, you're allowed to do this. And, the, and what it says is he gave them, they, they start with all immoralities and lusts. All, all immorality, sexual immorality, power immorality and lust, greed, all of it he starts with. So that leads us then to the next verse. So if we would turn the slide. For this reason, for what reason? I need to hear it. Idolatry. That is the reason. It's really important. He doesn't put for this reason in there just to do it. Because of idolatry, God gave them over to degrading passages. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. What he's going to do now is going to go through what the result of a life in a world without God. This must be read through Paul's two purposes. We don't switch that off now that we get to this part. The two purposes, the downward spiral and the correction of certain Christians and their prejudices toward Gentiles. And then verse 27, in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of women and burned their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Okay, now I need a drink now. <laughs> Sorry, I said that really wrong. That all came out accidentally. <laughs> So in the first giving over, it's all lust, all immoralities. Now in this one, he gets specific. And there's another the third exchange that we have here. So he's talking here, same gender, sexual relationships, or homosexuality. Stop. That's where we want to jump immediately and quickly, right? Well, there's just a whole lot more going on here. He uses the word give over again and the word exchange again. And so he wants us to look back to what he's doing. And the first thing he is doing here is he is showing them the downward spiral of humanity from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11. Now watch this. So look up there. There are we see the word, see the word women, woman, men, men, men. That's not what it should say. We have an English problem. The English language has a, oh, Cindy, watching the video when I do this, the people watching at home can't see me. <laughs> so, so I gotta stay here. I need to put a piece of tape. <laughs> I can walk this, but yeah, I can start over here. <laughs> um, so, English problem. English problem. So instead of woman, it should say female. I look through. That's what the word is. And there are different words in Paul's language. I look through translation after translation. I found one that said female. 
And then the word men, guess what it should say? Male, you got it, yeah. That's an art. Now, in English, we think, well, what's the difference? Well, in, in Paul's language, there's not a different sense of what it means. I mean, other than like, all men are male, but are all male men? No. The males are boys. But the real key here is this. What is Paul doing? He's taking them back to Genesis. And in this verse, he's taking them all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where he says that God created man in his image and in his likeness. And then he says this, male and female, he created them. Not men and women, very specifically male and female. Now in the Old Testament, the Greek translation, Septuagint of the Old Testament, which would have been Paul's Bible, which would have been Jesus's Bible, would have been in the Greek, it would have been the Bible they read. Those, these are the same words, male and female. Now the thing with that, there's only one other place in all of the New Testament. The phrase is male and female. Well, there's another, but it doesn't count, and I'll tell you why. The term male and female are used ever, ever. And it's in Galatians 3.28, where it says, For in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or master. See, only two times it's used. Now it is used, Jesus uses it twice in Mark, but he's quoting Genesis 27. Not use it. so there's a whole different word for men and women that's used. So what's the point of all? That's really cool. Blah, 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 blah. Well, the point is this: is Paul what Paul's doing? Just like in Galatians three twenty-eight, Paul's taking us all the way back to God's original design for humanity and God's original purpose for humanity. And what is that? It's to have a relationship with Him. It's to be creatures in His image to represent him to all of creation, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and to exercise dominion, to reign over and steward all of creation. The purpose of this text, what Paul is saying here is that he is giving a description of the downward spiral of humanity. And he's saying, because of idolatry, humanity has lost who they are, their purpose, what they were created for. Life without God, we don't understand how much life without God has broken us, has ruined us. And all of creation, Paul will talk later about how all creation has been ruined 
We see this reading, I think, through scripture, what's going on. This is not about individuals or a group of people. This is about the whole of humanity. And he brings in one aspect of the downward spiral here. Now, I will say this. What Paul is saying about same-sex relationship with here, that's, you know, the heart of the question. And I'm just going to mention a few things. And like I said, this topic requires a lot more discussion today's world. In ancient Judaism and in the first century, when Paul would have been writing, same-sex relationships were forbidden. There's, there is a lot in the Bible said about sexual immorality. It's a lot. There's a little said about homosexuality. Just a few verses. There's a couple, two or three in the Old Testament and two or three in the New Testament. And you, I, don't, I don't have those references. It's in Leviticus in, in chapter 18. I don't know the exact references and you could cross-reference from there. So there's a little bit said, and in 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 when it's spoken of, it is forbidden. Paul is an ancient Jew. This would have been Paul's view, because it was simply their view in, in his day. That's what he is communicating, their, his understanding according to his understanding of Scripture. But he's writing this to correct certain prejudices against Gentile Christians. That's why he's writing this. So how we bring this home into our world, which our world is very different than the Roman world Paul is writing to, but it's also similar. And so that is why it requires a lot more work and discussion and understanding as we would look through something like this. And, and what I need, what I want to do, I want to put that out and say, okay, so that's, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. And it's kind of his purpose here, I believe, in this section. There are, let me say, you know, in, in the Roman world, when, when, when it talks about this issue, it's obviously important for us to understand the majority of sexual relationships, especially um, same-gender sexual relationship, was, was non-consensual. Okay, that, that's really clear. That, that's, you know, we know that historically, but not all of it. They had, you know, sex slaves, a lot of it had to do with children, boys. And then, I mean, there's just a lot of that going on there. And, um, and also then cultic prostitution, so basically part of their religion it's part of their faith, you might say, to do that. Now, we have sex trafficking in our world, right? We have molestation in our world, right? The difference probably, though, is um, for them it was legal. It's part of their culture. Of course, for us, it is not. So I am going to, though, continue on with the purpose of what Paul is doing in this passage. And other discussions can be held for other times. 
Verse 28, he jumps right back to idolatry. He, he's not wasting any time here. Okay, he goes to this. This is your concern. That would have been the Jewish concern. Let's jump into the reality. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to those things. Okay, they did not acknowledge God. Idolatry. Life without God. Here's the results. Depraved mind to, to do those things which are not proper. Okay, now let's, okay, you know, we had the one that's, oh, that's the big one. But Paul's not making a categorical worst, second worst, third worst, fourth worst, fifth worst here. He's just gonna, when he's done wrong, let's say, oh, well, he's talking about me. <laughs> Being filled with all unrighteousness, ungodliness, we said, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, jealousy, murder, strife, deceit, lying, malice, gossips, nobody does that, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, no one's that way, boastful, who does that, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, <laughs> without understanding, well that's America, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, all connected. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice. I am confident of this one thing, that we can all look at that list and recognize that the shoe fits. And that I'm wearing this shoe. That's Paul's point here. We're all wearing this shoe. Now, for certain Christians who are, you know, they, they would have come, somebody came with this letter, most likely Phoebe, and read it to the church. And certain Christians would have been, when, when Paul's doing this, they're like, you go, Paul. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Right? That's what they're doing. Probably some of us might be doing that. <clears throat> well, as we turn the page, remember the grammar thing at the beginning, which I know. Is, well, there's going to be a jarring change of grammar on the very next page. An in-your-face change. So we'll go to the next one, chapter 2. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? I know you're right to say that. It's dumb. 18 through 32. In light of everything I just said, and that next word is enormous. Paul goes like this. You. You. He's talking to people in the church. This was his whole point of 18 through 32. You. And then he says this. Look at this. He says, are without excuse. So we didn't read the whole passage, but we go back 
And it says, because what was known about God was evident to God, they did not acknowledge him as God, they are without what? Excuse. And he's saying to these Christians, you are without excuse. Now look at this next line. Every man of you who passes judgment, every one of you, using the New American on purpose, every one of you who passes judgment for in that you judge another, look at this, you condemn yourself. Well, you know, Romans has a lot of theology. It has some good practical stuff. This may be one of the more important practical <laughs> lessons. Do you believe that? In that you and I judge another, we judge ourselves. That's what Paul says. And I don't think he just meant it for them. Yeah, it was written to them. And then, for you who judge, practice the same thing. Back to wrath again. We think, well, no, I don't practice the same thing. I just say this. Let's say sexual sin is sexual sin. All of it. All of it. It's just it. Jesus said, look on one lust after her. You have committed heart adultery. All of it. And all the other ones he mentioned. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The Jewish Christian in Rome had their acceptable and unacceptable sins. The unacceptable ones were the ones the Gentiles did. <laughs> He's calling them the hypocrites. Judgmental, they're condemning others because they have attitudes of superiority. And he's saying, that is every bit as bad as the sins you think are the worst. That's exactly what he's saying. That is the entire teaching of the New Testament. Think about the story like Jesus um, tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who go to the temple to pray. Pharisee, they do everything the Bible tells them to do. I mean, they follow those laws. The tax collectors are miserable sinners. Pharisee's a hypocrite, judgmental, condemning the tax collector, and Jesus says what? That one, the tax collector, went away justified. The Pharisee condemned himself. And, and there's just so much of that in Jesus' ministry. We just can't avoid it. It is a crucial teaching of the New Testament. So just time-wise here, I'm just going to go just a couple more minutes because I want to try and get to a positive note. 
It's so negative the past couple of weeks. I will say this. I will say this. Um, I, I think the Jewish people had a very, just read the Bible, I guess you can know this. Jewish people were unable to recognize their own idolatry. It's about idolatry. It's easy to look at the Gentiles and see their idolatry, right? You know why? They had statues. <laughs> okay, they worshiped. Statues of things. Strange, if you, you know, it's fun to just look at the archeology span in Greece and Rome and see all these gods, and it's weird. So that's easy. The, the, the Jews had a hard time seeing theirs. But boy, you read the Old Testament and it's just boom, boom, boom. God just reveals them and comes at them for their idolatry. I would say this. We have a hard time seeing our idolatries. We have a really hard time seeing our seeing our idolatries. But we have our own statues and altars. We really do. If you put the ism after anything, it has the potential of being a statue or an altar. So think of all the isms Again, it'd be probably good for a discussion to look at that. Because that is the domino that keeps falling. Probably the biggest one for us to think about is what, just it's more of a word. It's not the idolatry itself, but it's syncretism is the word. And syncretism is it's a fancy word. It simply means when it comes to religious faith things. It's the mixing of our faith with the things of the world. That's all it is. Anytime we mix the world things, the world isms, environmentalism, consumerism, capitalism, socialism, nationalism, whatever ism, you know, materialism, anytime we connect those with our faith we are entering into idolatry. Anytime we do that, we are entering into idolatry. God demands what part of our allegiance? 75%? Pretty good. <laughs> you know, 30%, 33%, 30% is really good for a baseball player. <laughs> Free throw shooter, 90% is really good. God, I think he wants more. <laughs> we just can't let anything take our allegiance. And I'm just going to go to the next slide. Do you suppose this, oh man, when you or woman, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And then this verse. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? 
you see, we all, we've all, we're all in the Darwin spiral. But God in his kindness sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that is the only thing we can stand on. Nothing else. That is the only thing that lifts you above anyone. And when it lifts you above someone because you have Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He sticks you underneath. <laughs> and that's it. But all of us, the people whom God has been patient with, merciful towards, forgiving, and kind, have no business judging and condemning. Because you're only under his forgiveness. You're only accepted because he's forgiven and been merciful and gracious to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. And help us to recognize in all of this downward spiral in our world. Today, it's spiraling down. You've been merciful and gracious to us. That's why we stand. We stand before you because you have forgiven us and only for that reason. In your name we pray. Amen. He's our
separate us from the love of Christ. No tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Um, you could stop the...